Hello folks and welcome to another very special episode of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. Oh, have you subscribed yet? Whichever pod platform you're using, hit subscribe and you'll be the first to know about our shiny, box-fresh, pristine podcasts coming your way. Now, we really are spoiling you. This is the AJ Bell Women's Tour of Britain special, and we have a cracking lineup of guests for you. Race organiser Mick Bennett is on the pod, comparing himself to an umbrella and a jigsaw. We have general manager and assistant DS of Drops Lacole, supported by tempered Tom Varney, explaining just how important the women's tour is for his team. And fresh from her Paris-Roubaix triumph, the reigning champion of the women's tour, Lizzie Dignan, gives us the lowdown on a whirlwind transition from the Carrefour de l'Arbe to Walsall. So, stick on a cosy jumper, make yourself a mug of something hot, relax into a comfortable chair, and enjoy the pod. Hello, and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevens unplugged by Sinus The AJ Bell Women's Tour of Britain kicked off on October the 4th with a stage from Bicester to Banbury, where it once stayed in the youth hostel in 1989. The following day saw the riders tackle a 102km circuit around a rather wet Walsall, with Amy Peters taking the stage win. That evening, I had the pleasure of recording this podcast, best described as a whirlwind of hotel Wi-Fi-enabled interviews of varying degrees of audio quality, the first of which was with the GM stroke assistant DS of Drops Lacole, supported by Temper Tom Varney. And I should probably mention, in that particular whirlwind, my fancy microphone went on strike. So please excuse my second-rate audio quality for the next interview. Tom Varney, Assistant Director of Drops Legal, powered by Temper. Welcome to our special podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks very much for having me on. No, thanks very much for coming on. I know that everybody involved in the women's tour, in fact, any professional stage race, um, is exceptionally busy. So we really do appreciate your time. Um, And also, just to make listeners acutely aware, uh, Tom was the first ever person to come on the podcast and actually ask us to pause to blow his nose, which is, you know, uh, different. Um, So it's the first up there, Tom. How was it? Uh, And Unfortunately, and I, I mean, I need to choose my words carefully here. Um, but I needed. To, I certainly needed to do it. I, I, I've um, I've had a few COVID tests, so it's not COVID, but colds do okay. exist. Uh, yeah, I've had a few dodgy looks the last few days, but um, yeah, I uh, yeah, I just had to clear clear my nose, and then uh, yeah, we're we're good now. We're good now. We're we're good to go. All your pipes are nicely kind of tuned up, and we're ready to ready to chat everything women's tour. Um, now, Tom, first and foremost. Yeah, thanks again for joining us. In all seriousness, I know you guys are very, very busy, but can you just tell us uh, where in England you are and what you can see immediately about you, i.e. your hotel room? I am currently in the Ardencote Manor just outside Warwick. Um, okay. I am uh, solo in my room. Uh, I'm not, I don't have any... Um, uh, I'm not sharing this week, which is nice. Uh, I'm at a desk, it's a pretty standard desk with a kettle in front of me um, and a mirror so I can look at myself, which is slightly off-putting, to be honest with you. Um, but a pretty basic uh, room, nice big bed, comfortable. I'm, I'm only using a quarter of it, so um, yeah, a lot of it wasted, but good we're all good. That's good. And also, before you came on, it's worth noting, which is almost luxurious isn't it for any stage race regardless of the kind of quality of your room the fact that you can actually spread your stuff out for a couple of days is gold isn't it because generally 
you're traveling out of a suitcase. So I believe you've been in there for this hotel for a couple of nights. Yeah, that's right. Uh, tonight's our third night. Uh, polos and shirts are hung up. It's pretty comfortable. Um, and it, and I think it's, um, it's been really, really good to spend time together as well. Um, yeah. It adds to that spare or kind of downtime if there is such a thing on a stage race. But um, yeah, not rushing around certainly helps. Um, and we're, yeah, with WhatsApp going down last night, we actually had to run across rooms and talk to each other. So that was, um, there was not, oh, wow. not the, not the ease of sending the daily schedules out on WhatsApp. We're running around, uh, the, the floor here, but yeah, it's nice. Um, we've been treated really well. We, we upgraded our camper this year. And the one oh, thing right. with the, with the women's tour is that they ask you which vehicles you'll bring in. So when you say you're bringing an eight meter long camper, They've yeah. um, they've put us in with the big team, so we've got Ooh. the World Tour teams here with their big buses, right? And uh, yeah, we're in a nice spa resort, and um, we move out to hotels tomorrow. But we've been treated well. The hotels are always good in the UK, so um, yeah, thanks to the Sweet Spot guys for arranging that for us. I mean, that is one of the features of both the women's tour and the and the men's tour of Britain. Is just I know all the continental riders come over, and generally are kind of, it's a big thumbs up, isn't it, in terms of hotel quality. We'll talk about the hotel quality in a little while. There's another little feature at the end of this of this chat um, that we'll touch on, which is reflective of hotel quality. But first and foremost, today's stage, how, what was it like for the team? It looked, when there's a big split near the end, wasn't there? But that, how was it? It was Walsall to Walsall today, wasn't it? it looked a, bit, yeah. a little bit up and down. It was really up and down, pretty sketchy in parts by all accounts. Um, the weather started out pretty bad. Um really wet start there was um a lot of puddles on the road um but um the stage overall went quite well we we've got a pretty young team we're kind of young riders we've got joss um who's coming in off the back of the hour but also the world yeah, so amazing she's yeah. um trying to keep that form obviously yeah uh, going a little bit longer and also nationals next week so She's the main, the main kind of GC hope for this this week. Also, with the TT tomorrow, um, will be quite crucial. Um, she, we looked after her pretty well. We, she got into a move that just went just before the actual move that went the last. Uh, I think there was ten away at the end. Yeah, and then before as that came back, the move kind of went over the top, um, and then she wasn't quite able to go with it. It was a little bit hectic. Um, so yeah, we unfortunately missed that uh, key break at the end, but um, we I think she didn't finish too far behind. I think lost forty seconds, but um, she's I think fifty two seconds down on GC. So I think she'll get a lot of that back in the TT. Um, we're quite hopeful anyway, and um, then the remaining stages are all to play for really. So yeah, definitely not too bad. So, so um, that's not could have been worse. Yeah. Could have been better. So yeah. That's that's not too bad. Sort of limiting your losses, and as you say, um, with that, sixteen k time trial tomorrow, kind of um, a pretty classic. Well, equating to ten mile, pretty classic TT distance for the Brits as well, isn't it? Yeah, and she'll be well used to. Well, all of the Brits, as you say, will be well versed in a ten mile TT. Um, pretty nice course as well, by all accounts. It'll be fully closed, uh, wide open roads. Um, the quite a rolling course as well, so it should make a. I think some of the differences in times will be quite big. Um, it really suits a specialist like Joss as well. So yeah, we we do have high hopes for tomorrow. Good stuff. I mean, one one of the kind of overriding questions that I will be asking everybody on this on this on this mini pod is how important is the women's tour? You know, it's been going for a few years now. This is edition 
number seven uh, after a hiatus last year for reasons that we all know. But how important to Drops Le Col, uh, powered by Temper, is this race? Um, it's extremely important. It's, um, it gives us opportunity to ride in front of our own fans, um, yep. which we definitely missed, I think, um, since 2019. Um, and it gives us gives our fans a chance to come and see us. We have had a really nice atmosphere outside the bus and on the roads, and like, we're quite recognisable with, with the kit as well. So um, yeah. even if they haven't heard of us before, they might well, they might have seen the, seen the name, and it's quite recognisable. Like I said, so um, we get a, always get a good response. It's on the larger scale as well. It's um, it's a big pull, I guess, for all the teams. It's one of the best races in the calendar it's really nice now it's also six days um there's a lot of talk about the lack of tv coverage but um that's understandable i think when you look at the costs involved and the some of the issues with 4g in in the uk particularly yeah. um but the i think the highlights are a good package and the course is always um i think surprising as well if, if if you don't know the UK roads, it's always quite heavy, quite rolling. The the, the weather's playing a big part um, so far. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to take its toll when you're coming into stage four, five and six. So um, uh, it's really important for us. We, it's always one of the key races on our calendar when we look at it in training camp at the start of the year. It's always up there with, with Flanders. And we, obviously, we had Roubaix this year, which we, we also... Um, prioritised so it's been a little bit um, difficult with it being postponed as well um, yeah. quite strange having both Roubaix and Women's Tour after the Worlds where we would normally finish the season so um, we kind of shoe on a few more races in to prepare a little bit better for both of those races um, and yeah maybe not the best preparation for some of the riders in terms of having races leading up to it but we, we do the best we can with, with the budget we do have and um, we always try and make our mark on the big races when, when we go. So um, it's a big opportunity to show ourselves really well as well. I mean, it's, uh, of course, with a view as well. And I, I understand the intention to there to move up to World Tour in 2022 as well. So, um, you know, it's uh, there's kind of a lot, a lot to play for in terms of, uh, I, I guess, kind of managing the programme and, and, and kind of overlapping programmes is always going to be an issue for women's teams at the moment, isn't it? Because, it, I mean, the, the last three events that you just described, the Worlds, the um, um, the Paris Bay and the Tour of Britain, I mean, women's tour, really, really densely packed, which I, I guess must have stretched not just your teams, but a lot of teams' kind of uh, logistical resource. Yeah, and I think that's that's becoming more um, more of an issue, really. And um, we were talking it talking about it a lot uh, last night um we don't really have specialists in the women's side um mm. so a lot of a lot of the best riders in the world ride all the races or certainly would like to so if you think like Philippe didn't wouldn't race Roubaix but I think Flanders is slightly different but um like next year with Roubaix there's talk of Roubaix and Amstel changing dates yes um so you'd go Flanders Amstel and Roubaix um and I'm I'm pretty sure there's some riders that did Roubaix this year that would maybe focus more on the Ardennes next year um, instead. So I think that will evolve over time as well when specialists will come um, to the forefront. I think we have a specialist, particularly for Roubaix, in, in Mayo van Galouf. Um, yep. She was 12th at the weekend. That's a heck of a ride, isn't it? And we, and it, we yeah. really made it a priority. We did, when we did 
um, we did two recons with with Mavic, and then I think Mayo did a couple um, of private ones as well. So I think she she knew the course pretty much off the um, at the back of her hand. So yeah. that was really it made such a big difference. Some of the input we had from Mavic was was really nice on, on tire pressures. We had I think Conti launched some tires yesterday. Um, brand new uh, brand new tires which we had actually for Roubaix so we had to make uh, scrub out all the markings and that was that's actually quite a nice feeling to have that level of support and the equipment yeah, so that's fantastic um that was really nice but I think generally it, the yeah we, we're obviously looking for more, more budget and, and to be able to do more we have been quite um focused on on our approach this year we've skipped a couple of races we skipped Am- amstel gold to, so we can focus on liege and um and flesh a bit closer um and we really have to basically make the the budget stretch but be really focused on what we're trying to achieve yep. um some other teams uh oh, i think once you're in the world tour you have to go to the world tour races so that instantly yep. makes it really difficult um yep. not only with the riders but you need solid staff structure as well so the the way the culture works, the way the responsibilities work within the within the staff could be super important. Uh, vehicles we only have one team car right now, so um, we uh, yeah that's a step we're going to make next year and uh, and work on. Yeah, we, we're prioritizing a few different things next year. We we won't be in the world tour next year. We've not applied for a license. Um, okay, um, but it's still on the agenda. Um, but we're, we're certainly going to make a, a, a big step next year. Um, and I think if there was a pro Conti level, we would certainly be within that, which is which is nice. But um, yeah. that would be the next step once once we have fifteen world tour teams. So wonderful. I mean, um, just to typically, uh, Tom, can you just? I mean, you're you're an assistant DS on 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 the team, and I know that I said you, you're busy from very early till very late generally on a race like this. Can you just typically describe what? Uh, maybe not a TT day, but a, a classic road day on the women's tour, what that would look like from your perspective, or what are your roles, what are your responsibilities, what's your sure. involvement with the tech, the riders, etc. Yeah, so I'll just say, I'll take today as a, an example. Um, being a home race, we've got a couple more staff than we normally would, so we normally take four, um, two Swannies, one mechanic, one DS. Um, this week, we've got two mechanics, uh, four Swannies, um, myself, um, just purely in a team manager role on one DS. So we're able to go, uh, we, we, essentially we wake up, um, breakfast, 7.30, all the staff eat together. Um, that's kind of one unwritten rule that we have. Um, yep. It's a really important time together. We just have coffee, have a laugh, and not really focus on the racing, um, talk about family life and outside of the, what's going on outside of the bubble. Um, and then... Uh, Normally mechanics would leave, um, they would leave the hotel first, um, go to the start uh, with the camper. Um, one benefit of not changing hotels is we've left the mechanics van at the hotel, which is quite nice. Um, yep. we'd take the take the bikes on the cars. And then um, the riders would, would eat slightly later, have a nice relaxed morning with the 11 o'clock starts we've been having. Um, they would arrive to start around one, one and a half hours before the start with uh, the start area being ready to go camper nutrition laid out um bikes already and then be a case of well this week with some media duties for the riders um get the kit on team presentation where they they go on stage and presented them um, um today we we wrecked the finish 
between that time as well. Sure. And then, uh, yeah, the riders line up, staff kind of um, head out on the course. This week we've had, um, I've actually been with uh, a media crew from Ribble. They've sent their in-house team, which has been really nice. We've gone on the course. I've had one Swanee with me and I've been doing some feeds and then there's other two other pairs of Swannies that go out. So we, we've had the course quite well covered. Today was a little bit different because it was a circuit, but um, we were well covered on the course so the, the, the girls can have a have a feed every kind of 20 30k which is which is quite nice and quite rare here um yep. and i think it's super important for us to show again show ourselves well as a team here um and we try and do that in most of the big races and in flanders we were in 15 different places with wheels and bottles and wow. things and okay that's in in that instance it's, it's pulling in volunteers from uh, that we know locally in Belgium, etc. So, yeah, uh, Matt, you've been around. You know how that works, and you oh, know yeah. <laughs> how um, how into it those uh, those fans get, and they do it for a bottle or a jacket and stuff like that. So it's really special to have them yeah. um, around. So, and then yeah, transfer back today was an hour. Um, transfer tomorrow after the CT's two and a half hours because we we change hotels, so it's pretty long. Um, but yeah, you, I think today was 40 minutes actually, so not too bad. And then the girls, um, we had the Swannies, they leave earlier, they go pretty much straight away. Um, and then myself and Nico, who's our DS, take the girls in the cars. Um, but that means the Swannies get back, massage is ready when they come back. So they essentially come back, get washed up, and then uh, straight on the massage tables. Uh, I had a debrief with Nico, and then he's now or has been prepping tomorrow's kind of timing strategies and how that works with GC and when uh, when the girls have their start times and then who can follow each rider, um, where the equipment will go. And then there'll be a, a rider meeting, I think, um, at half six and then dinner time about half seven. And then staff will have a beer um, after that and then we do... We kind of kind of repeat the whole process again. So tomorrow, like you say, will be slightly different with the TT, yeah. but yeah, a lot more relaxed um, for certain riders as well. I think Josh might have a game face on most of the morning. You'd imagine, you'd nice. imagine so. Yeah, you'd imagine so. She's, she's uh, well, all, all the best for uh, the team. Well, for the rest of the the, the women's tour. I mean, uh, as I say, it's. Uh, I know you're a busy man. Sounds like you've got meetings coming up in about nine minutes, and then exactly. dinner in about an hour. As, but I'm going to ask you one final question, uh, Tom. Um, and it's a big one. Um, and uh, we've even got a jingle. Uh, Niall, fire up the jingle. Biscuits of the Women's Tour. So, Tom, I, I hope you sort of understood that jingle. It's Biscuits of the Women's Tour, carrying on the momentum, the biscuit momentum from uh, the Tour of Britain. Um, do you have any biscuits, uh, free biscuits, in your room with your tea and coffee making facilities? No. I'm, sorry. I'm very sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Um, oh no! <laughs> oh my God! We had the oh, that's really disappointing. I've, yeah, I'm really sorry. I don't have any. I've got six sachets of milk. I've got a hot chocolate sachet. I've got some sugar, some PG tips. Yeah, <laughs> that's I'm really, really sad. I mean, well, no, if you never asked me at my last race, Mayo brought me some shrimp waffles. So. Can oh. I just say I've got some shrimp waffles? You could say that. I mean, that'll do. I mean, and and also, if you want to give me the phone number of reception, I'll give them a call and get them to pop <laughs> down to local Poundland and get you some biscuits, mate. That's pretty disappointing. Um, at least you got hot chocolate because that's it's not quite a biscuit, though, mate. Is it? Let's be let's be perfectly honest. No, uh, I'm no. actually disappointed in the hotel. I have to mark them down. 
when uh, yeah, when I mean, uh, um, Sweet Spot asked for my feedback. Exactly. I mean, uh, I'll, be, I'll be speaking to I'm, I'm going to be speaking to Mick Bennett very shortly, and I will um, do, uh, ask him the same thing. Um, Stroop waffles aren't a bad con- a consolation, nor is the hot chocolate. Um, it's, that's a nice way to wrap things up, actually, Tom. Thanks very much for your time, mate, and um, and best of luck to the team for the rest of the race. And I'll be I'll be rooting for Joss in the time trial tomorrow as well, mate. But uh, for now, thanks a lot. Catch up with you soon. Thanks, Matt. Thanks very much. Top lad, Tom, makes you really appreciate the pressures these teams are under. And if you're in a position to go and support the race, we know how much it's appreciated. Cheers, Tom, and best of luck for the rest of the race. Now, Lizzie Dygden made history last weekend when she won the first edition of Paris-Roubaix Femme. The men's event has been on the calendar for 125 years, so the first woman to win it was always going to go down in the history books. But it was perhaps the manner of Lizzie's win, a blood, sweat and tears, 80km solo break in some of the toughest conditions ever that made it so iconic. Lizzie, um, first and foremost... Out of your very busy schedule, thanks very much for joining us on this uh, Women's Tour special pod- podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. Now, first first and foremost as well, um, well done on that win. I mean, I know you would have spoken about it probably hundreds of times already, um, but the first question I'm going to ask you, how are your hands? <laughs> yeah, they're pretty sore. Um, it's a struggle in the Women's Tour to race on them because like today was raining, so I had like bandages over the top of them that soon got wet again and I've got more blisters today but oh, my legs are still more sore than my hands so right I mean it, again we are we will talk about the women's tour in a moment but we can't not not take this opportunity to seize the moment and speak to you briefly about about it has it properly sunk in yet because it really it's such an important victory on so many many different levels isn't it um Paris-Roubaix the, the manner of your victory the importance at long last of parity. I mean, uh, has it truly sunk in yet? The kind of the the, the, the kind of gravity of of that performance. Um, you know, I really wasn't expecting the kind of reaction that it, that it's received. Um, yeah. I've been a bit blown away by that. Um, I mean, people have asked me, you know, is this bigger than when you won the world championships? And I was like, well, no. <laughs> um, I hadn't thought it was, but obviously, yeah. in some people's um, kind of world it is so I guess it's it is huge and it and it was a big step for women cycling and I think just because it's such an iconic race and such a kind of stereotypical hell of the north race you know it, it's it kind of represents toughness and it's nice to be able to prove I suppose that women are tough too <laughs> yeah it, I think I think many of us knew that but it's it's just re- taken a ridiculous amount of time to see it, and and I think because of the the conditions that you had, it kind of it kind of cast an extra kind of bit of magnification over that because it really was truly truly be- uh, brutal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it was pretty tough going out there. I don't know if it was clear um, to see just how windy it was. I mean, there were yeah. sections where I was really fighting the wind, the crosswind sections on cobbles that are slippery and wet and muddy um it was it was pretty tough going a lot of the way yeah I mean the the, the manner of your win you know and you, you clipped off you kind of just I wouldn't say drifted away but you just we just pretty much rode away with like 82 k's to go and just the way you you rode the cobbles I mean obviously you've ridden them before in Flanders places like that but uh, you really did did you surprise yourself how you, how well you adapted to riding on that much um cobble terrain 
I think the key was having good legs, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think anyone who's ridden cobbles knows that if you're if you're suffering and your momentum starts to go, then you really hit every bump and you just you move around so much more. So yeah. that was a massive fear of mine before the car fall. I was like, I just need to get over these in one piece and, and maintain a little bit of a you know, I knew the gap would come down with Mariana chasing me on the cobbles, but I, I just didn't want to lose that momentum. So I kind of did a very measured effort, which made a big difference. I think if you're in the peloton and you're having to match accelerations on cobbles and then slow down and brake because you've got to kind of maneuver around other riders, I think yeah. it would have been a totally different effort. Um, so, yeah, the, the effort was much more manageable in front. And what about, I mean, there was a couple of moments captured beautifully on, on for, for the TV when your back wheel and the back part of your bike just decided to do pretty much what it wanted to do, but you still kept it upright. Yeah, I kind of jackknifed <laughs> on me. And um, it was funny because my director was obviously watching on the TV in the car, um, yeah. but they must have had a delay because it was about a minute later and they all, I heard, heard them all in the car going, woo nice save Lizzie and I was like yeah yeah <laughs> that was a while ago now <laughs> I mean before we we move on to the women's sword just if you can just describe as best you can now you've had a couple of days for it all to sink in that feeling riding onto the velodrome knowing you had enough time in hand to pretty much ride alone before even Mariana came in and to cross the line in first place what what were, what were you thinking if anything I mean what was going through your mind I just felt a huge sense of pride. I did feel the occasion was bigger than me. Um, and I felt yeah. like I was, I felt like I was representing women and it's not often that you do that in a bike race, you know, normally it's, it's a very yeah. selfish pursuit, but it did feel like the win was more important than I was. And I was, I felt a huge sense of pride about that. Well, it was absolutely magnificent and um, it will live long in the memory, as will your bike, because I believe your Trek bike is going to be forever um, immortalised, isn't it? Still covered in the exact mud and your and the bloodstained handlebars without getting too gory. It's going to be in the Trek Museum, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, they do that with any of the bikes that we uh, win monuments on. So yeah. the bike I won Liège on is there as well. So yeah, little family of bikes over there. We need to start a petition as well, Lizzie, um, because obviously you've won you've won Flanders, Liège, now Roubaix. I need to have a word with RCS about getting Milan San Remo and Lombardia as women's classics too, don't we? Yeah, that would be the dream, definitely. I would <laughs> definitely. absolutely love that. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, it, it does need to happen, but uh, that's perhaps another conversation. Um, now, Lizzie, twice a winner of the women's tour. Um, what does this race kind of mean to you like personally? Because it's just getting bigger and bigger. It's now in the seventh edition. Despite the bad weather, the crowds are out in force. How much does it mean to you to ride this uh, this important event? Well, like you say, I'm just still taken aback by the level of enthusiasm. Um, there's so many crowds and today was awful weather, yet there was hundreds and hundreds of people out enjoying women cycling. Um, I think the organisation do an amazing job. It's still, um, you know, it's growing in prestige because obviously cycling events have to kind of get that little bit of history behind them and you know the riders have to understand um and prioritize it in their schedule which i think a lot of riders do now um and yep. yes yeah, it's, it's very prestigious and definitely the most professional race we have on the calendar 
yeah, it seems like like that by a long way. And what about your teammates? You've got obviously a, a super international team, and I know across in the, in the, the men's tour of Britain as well, generally the foreign riders who come across are kind of really surprised, not just by the crowds, but by but by the slick organisation that Mick Bennett and his sweet spot team put on. So w- what do your teammates think of the race? Yeah, they're very impressed. I mean, it's unusual for us to have a road book that gives so much information. Um, there really is no stone left unturned, actually. And the organization does do a fantastic job, including the safety and things like that of the race. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many more motos here than we are used to. Um, and just the crowds. I think that's the main thing that my teammates have commented on, just the fact that we get such a warm welcome. And I bet you did get an absolutely cracking reception the first time on the podium yesterday when you were introduced after after your amazing performance on Sunday as well yeah I did yeah it was it was um it's nice to have something to introduce me as yeah (laughs) (laughs) now we I'm not going to keep you too much longer Lizzie because I know you're exceptionally busy and no doubt want to lie down or dinner whatever I'm not sure if you had your massage yet but um there's a brand new feature um that we we, we've got for this little pod and I'm about to roll the jingle now now there was no expense spared on pulling that jingle together it's biscuits of the women's tour lizzie now could you tell us if any and i'm a little bit nervous uh what biscuits have you got with your tea and coffee making facilities in this particular hotel as in like edible biscuits yeah, the ones that you, you know when you go in a uh, generally in an English hotel, you get a, a kettle in the corner with coffee oh, and tea, yeah, yeah. and generally you get biscuits, don't you? So I'm just wondering if you if you got any biscuits, and and if you did, what were they? Do you know? I was hugely disappointed. I didn't have any biscuits, but I did have a large packet of Cadbury's uh, hot chocolate, which I just used. So that made oh. up for the lack of biscuit. Yeah, I'm. I'm really sorry. I will. I'm speaking to Mick next. I'll have a word with him about this, um, Lizzie, because you've come over from, you know, uh, a, a tough season, and to come into an English hotel without biscuits, it's just not acceptable. Um, so even, we'll be having a stern word tomorrow. So maybe you can get that sorted. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try and have a word for you. And um, apologies. Uh, so we've. I spoke to Tom Varney from um, Drops Lacole, one of the DSs there. No biscuits in his room either. So, yeah, this whole segment has fallen a bit flat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. Lizzie, um, best of luck for the rest of, of uh, the women's tour. It's an absolute pleasure speaking to you, as as it always is. And thanks very much for giving up your time and hopefully speak to you soon and enjoy the rest of the race. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. What a legend. And you can tell how important the AJ Bell Women's Tour of Britain is to the two-time champion. A great time to be racing on home soil. Of course, we wouldn't have a women's tour if it wasn't for the incredible team that organises and manages the race. Head honcho or HH of the operation is race organiser or RO as he likes to be known, Mick Bennett. And I caught up with Mick at what sounded like a cattle market, but actually it was his hotel foyer. Check it out. Oh, he's also a big fan of soup. First and foremost, Mick, thank you very much for giving up some of your time. Uh, Pleasure. Whilst on, whilst on uh, the, the women's tour, because I know you're exceptionally busy. So we'll keep this... Nice and succinct. Uh, but first and foremost, Mick, can you tell me where you are? Um, uh, what hotel you're in, please? We're at the uh, Marriott Hotel in just yep. off the M42 in, okay. you could say, Coventry, Warwickshire. Okay, mate. Um, yeah. And we're going to, because of that, we're going to start off this little uh, interview, little chat with a jingle. Uh, fire away, Niall. 
It's Biscuits of the Women's Tour. Mick, you're in the Marriott. Uh, I would imagine at such a quality establishment, they've got tea and coffee making facilities. If they have, what biscuits are in your room, mate? And have you eaten them? Uh, no biscuits in my room. No uh, biscuits? No, sorry to take the wind out yourself. No biscuits <laughs> at all. No. Oh, Bottle of water. Right. But I did get back from stage two today, and I had a nice... Um, pea soup and i had and i had a, a, a bowl of frites with mayonnaise lovely so pea I'm, soup I, and frites. yeah yeah i'm just about to go for dinner but, well i won't keep you too much longer i mean we will talk about other things apart from oh, that and, and frites <laughs> but um i'm going to uh, i'm going to be honest with you i've spoken to tom varney uh, the assistant ds of drops lacole i've also spoken to a little known cyclist called lizzie dignan yeah um, both of them are staying at the same hotel. They're disappointed, Mick. They didn't get biscuits with their tea and coffee making facilities, although they did have hot chocolate. So I'm just putting a word in. You know, you're the head honcho. You know, Lizzie Dignan biscuits for the future. Just you know, yeah, is that all right. No, I'll, I'll take that on board. Yes, nice Thanks, piece mate. of information there. Yeah, I Thanks can see which direction mate. this interview is going to go. <laughs> really, really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, I know the whole shape of the. Uh, I mean, we we used to get on, didn't we, many years ago when I was younger. Did we? <laughs> that was a nervous laugh. You're now making yeah. me really nervous. I know. Um, Sorry about that. That's yeah. all right, mate. Um, Mick, in all seriousness, mate, it must be such a relief to get back on the road with the women's tour after, for all the reasons that we know, the race was on a hiatus last year. What's it like to be back in the saddle on this really, really important race? Um. It, it, well, it's important for many things. One is to show that um, we're still in business for a start because we've had a 28-month break from organising anything, if you like. Yeah. And um, it, this, this event normally uh, precedes the Men's Tour of Britain because we're normally in June. Yeah. And, um, and so, and I mean this with all due respect, but to, run a, to go straight in um, and run an eight-day tour after a 28-month break, um, unscheduled break because of the pandemic, of course. Uh, and normally the women's tour eases us into the men's tour because uh, yeah. it's a shorter six-day event. But to do it the other way around is really quite difficult. And to have an event in October, and I've never done an event in October on these shores anyway. So it was yeah. a little bit strange to say the least. And I think people... Um, we're a little bit apprehensive. We use a lot of, you know, other than our hardcore team of people that are employed by Sweet Spot, um, and a lot of the officials that we use on the event um, are BC tried and tested people. And somebody paid us a great compliment today, and it was the Commissaire President, right. who, who, um, and I worked with him about 20 years ago in Malaysia, and he said to me this organization is perfect and that said it all because you know very often these commissaire presidents they come over but they are representatives of the uci and they score they score how you perform and how you organize and on the against a set format that the uci laid out and yeah. for him to say that after stage two was was great for me because i'm passed that on to everybody and I did tell him, I said, have you got biscuits in your room? Yeah. And, and he said, no. So oh. 
So there was no, no there box was no, ticking on. No, no, no. So basically, I mean that that's I mean uh, to get that sort of comment without biscuits as something. I wouldn't let's not call it a. You know what I'm talking about. But that that's that says a lot. And yeah. actually, Mick, I've I've not long come off the podcast with with Lizzie, and she said something very similar. Because one one of the questions I asked was the importance of this race and why is it different. Yeah. And she said it pretty much the same thing that it's not the crowds, it's the racing, it's the course, but it's the the. The riders know they're in safe hands or as safe as you can be on, on, on roads, you know, this, and she said the organisation is exemplary in this race. So just to pass that yeah. on um, from one of the finest riders of a generation. Um, anyway, I mean, Mick, just for people listening, I mean, we, we talked um, a few weeks back with Andy Hawes about the route planning on, the, on the, the, the men's tour of Britain. So can you just explain what your role is? Um, you know, it's a very all-encompassing role and I've worked with you closely in the past, but can you just explain to the listener what your role is all about Mick yeah as race director uh, I probably I'm the umbrella that um, is the overseeing all-seeing eye of the yeah. race if you like and very uh, having uh, and I'm going way way back before the tour of Britain right back to the Kellogg's tour days which you may remember um, yeah. Matt and you know, I started organising uh, in 84, 85. So I'm probably the, well, I'm the oldest one, but also the, the most experienced at organising events at this level. And I very often, I put it to somebody today, and it was Phil Baton that I'm sure a lot of your listeners, he was in the car with me. And he asked me the same question. He says, what is it that you do? And I said to him, I said, my analogy is, if you take a, a, a jigsaw puzzle, I'll put all the edges of the jigsaw puzzle in, and each department and, and or individual puts a piece of that jigsaw puzzle in the middle to build up the bigger picture. And providing that piece of the jigsaw puzzle is placed in the right and appropriate place, then it completes the whole picture. Yeah. So I'm just the edges of the jigsaw. Um, but it's the umbrella. It's to make sure that everybody is doing what they do. Um, Peter Hodges and I, who's our PR marketing director, we are the ones that contract. Our, our, our one, one thing that we do uh, together is that we contract all the teams and all the riders to take part. But yep. other than that, I oversee the running of each department. And I break it down into three, other than the the edges of the jigsaw. There's a start team, a bit in the middle, which is the racing, the piece that moves, and there's the finish team. They all work independent of one another. And I haven't seen, other than at the start, I've not seen them in any hotel because they're separate hotels. Sure. And if providing you let people get on and do their job, and providing they're doing their job properly, there's no point in it. There's no need to interfere. Sure. Being OCD, helps a lot because yes. it's got to, as you know, you've worked with me, I, Matt, yep. you, you've got to be absolutely on the ball because you make the slightest mistake in terms of health and safety and the safety of the event and for the rider's sake and the spectators. And you die another day. It's horrible. Uh, yep. And I hate to do that. And so we overdo things, I think. We over... We overdo the management of the, the uh, incremental bits that make the event what it is. Yeah. And I think, I think other people see that when they come here. 
and and they go, wow, these people really do know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, what what, what ingredient makers as as well as the, the the class of riders that you get, the magnificent crowds at the side of the road, uh, the team that you manage. What what do you think is the the secret ingredient, or maybe not the secret ingredient, but that this but that the spark that has made this race so successful and so loved over the last seven years or so? I, I think it's um, communication and having a sense of humour. So don't yeah. take yourself too seriously and and manage people in the right and proper manner and yeah. they'll they'll move heaven and earth for you yeah and i think and that goes that goes throughout your life actually for me that's really important that um you have a sense of humor with people you don't take yourself too seriously until you need to and you get people around you that work in a similar way yeah um I mean, having worked—I've never worked on the women's tour, but having worked with you, you no, know, we wouldn't want you to. Matt. I, I understand that. I understand, yeah. and it, it's difficult. It's difficult to talk about, but I, I just want to. No, I don't find it people. difficult to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, that's why we're at distance, and that's why there's no video here. It's just audio to keep it simple. Um, yeah. So we don't. So we don't fall out. Well, that's um, the one thing you uh, do do well. Is simple. <laughs> thank, thank you. Well, thank you very much. That's um. That's a, I, I'll take that as a compliment in a strange way, Mick. Um, yeah. Mick, what what continues to drive you? Uh, it's love and passion for the sport. I absolutely love what I do. Yeah, genuine. I, I, I don't want to overcomplicate the answer to that. I love what I do. I love the sport. I love the passion. I love communicating. I love the humour that we've got. And I, I like turning around to people when they've done a good job and thanking them and telling them they've done a good job. Yeah. And, and that will continue. I mean, I was, the next question I had was, what's the most enjoyable part of your job? But is that it? Is, or, or is it something else? Is it, is it a satisfaction within or is it riders' feedback or is it is it the crowds? What, what is it that um, is the most enjoyable part of your job? Because I know it's a challenging one as well because ultimately, just to go back to one of your previous points, you're managing risk, like really dynamic risk here. And there's a lot of enjoyment through that, but you're, you're managing a lot of risk. So I know it's a stressful job. You don't sleep much, but what is the, the most enjoyable part of the job for you? I think it, it's, it's watching the whole thing come together. And when you think that, um, you, you know, you're working on this, uh, Phil Baton asked me today and he said, when do you start working on next year? And I said, we're working on it right now. We're refining what we do, um, looking at new um, methodologies behind um, uh, highways management, behind health and safety, behind risk assessments, behind streamlining what we do in order to still achieve the same visual and safe impacts of the race. And it's, I suppose it's, you know, the old analogy that I know um, Dave Brailsford sort of took his hat off to the, the introduction of marginal gains. We were doing that well before well before we were looking at marginal gains with, um, yeah. uh, with how we run events, trying to get the yeah. best out of people, keeping their morale high whilst not, not implicating the look and feel and safety of the event. And I, I absolutely love it, you know, it's probably uh, going to sound pathetic, this, but it's probably also quite lonely 
Right. And I don't want a big R about that, but I find it quite lonely. You know, I'm in here and everybody's sat around having a drink. and I'm scrolling through looking at stuff I should have been looking at. Uh, but you're that focused and concentrated in the car on the safety of the riders and, yeah. and the general public. Um, and you don't get time for yourself so that when you are in the hotel amongst everybody else, you should be having a drink with and a laugh and a joke. You can't because you're yeah. trying to catch up on on uh, mundane stuff. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's the, the coordination that the logistical element to this, I mean, you talk about your teams cannot be understated really, can it? And the, the relationship you've had, and I talked at, at, at length with Andy about this is, You've got relationships with your team, but the relationships that you've fostered over the years with local communities, local authorities, local police, it, it's complex, but really important as well, isn't it? It's, it's very important that we had a, a, an issue today, and I won't go into detail on it, but we had to salvage the situation, which could, be, uh, could have been quite catastrophic for the event for them. And it was something right. that wasn't delivered on, and we had to step in. At the, right at the last minute and provide uh, a solution to the problem that um, they probably thought could have just been forgotten about but we can't we can't forget about it because as i said said earlier the most important element and i can't stress this enough is the safety of this event when you're yeah. in the finale of the race you're taking um a hundred bike riders into the finish of a stage in the center of a city or a town and they're doing 40, 50 kilometers an hour, and you've got the public on the side of the road, <laughs> it is very, very stressful, very stressful. Yeah. And you get out of yeah. the car, and although you've done nothing physical, I put a stone on since I arrived here three months ago, um, <laughs> and it's not pleasant. Um, when you, yeah. when you, you know, you've only got to make one mistake and not have the line of the corner barriered correctly, or you've got a piece of furniture that's unprotected, um, it is just, you get out of the car and then you think, oh my, you know, we did it. We did it yeah. again. And it's yeah. that satisfaction and that's the, the enjoyment when you've, when you've delivered on it. And it's the team. It's a te- very much a team. And as I say often uh, to them, you know, we're only as good as our weakest member. And it's our yeah. weakest member of our team that needs the biggest support. Yeah. No, Mick, it's, um, I know that was a, everything in a nutshell. It would be lovely to speak to you at length again in the future, mate. But uh, yeah. that's really given us a, a you know, really interesting and um, important insight into the job that you do and how hard it is to run events at this kind of level. Um, but also making sure, first and foremost, that everybody's safe, but also that you've got a product and, and an event that people want to come out and see, want to watch, want to support and want to win and that and that's down down to the teammates and 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 the drive that you've given it for for many many years so long may it continue mick all the success for the rest of the race and really hope that in the next couple of hotels you get some decent biscuits as well thank you and that's the nicest thing you've said to me for a long long time thanks very much mate you take care pleasure cheerio mate bye-bye Thanks very much to Mick, an incredibly busy chap, for taking some time to chat to me on the podcast and what a wonderful job he and his team are doing on the race. Well, folks, that was our AJ Bell Women's Tour of Britain special. I hope you can get over the disappointment of the biscuit shortage, perhaps by having a biscuit yourself. 
Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcasting tune and thanks to you for listening. Now, it won't be long until we release a fresh batch of weekly pods with some amazing guests lined up. So don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and want to recommend it to your cycling friends as well. Finally, a massive thanks again to Tom, Lizzie and Mick for joining us on this special edition of Matt Stevens Unplugged. All the very best to everybody taking part in the AJ Bell Women's Tour of Britain, of which Sigma Sports are the official retail partner and have their logo just above the clock on the finish line. I think I saw my mate Sir Ian of Whittingham handing over a prize on the podium the other day in his puffer jacket, jeans and trainers. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. Goodbye.